You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. No Maddie Rose in studio right now for the next two hours. Mr. Eric Francis, good morning, sir. How are you, my man? I'm, uh... You stampeded al- last night. I see it all over your face. I'm alive. Um, yes. I by my eyes. Dude. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. This is what stampede's all about. You're Everybody right. plays hurt. You got to do it. Good on you. Your you brother came it. to town yesterday and his buddy. He's asleep. Your buddy. They're both asleep right now. Of course. But, you know, the first night of any boy's trip yep. is always the biggest one. You got to get after it. Good on you. Where'd you go? Uh, at numerous places. Okay, good. There was numerous places last night. and so uh, proud of you. Yeah, good thing we ordered pizza for dinner because I had to eat some of that pizza before I went to bed to soak up the alcohol. I don't know if I don't know if there's any science behind that. No, no. I, but you but can't go to bed on an empty stomach after you're drinking. 100%. I feel like it limits your hangover a little bit. Oh, 100% is the belief. I, you're right. I don't know if the science is there to back no it idea. up. But everyone who's ever drank a, a lot of booze yep. knows that you got to soak it up somehow. Yep. Whether it's a shawarma, yep. whether it's a dog. <laughs> a poutine. A uh, poutine. Yes. Or a pizza. Yep. 28 pounds of it in 10 minutes like Joey Chestnut. You know, I, I took a lot of heat yesterday from people. Really? Friends of mine. Yeah. Because you asked me if I could drink 25 rum and Cokes yeah. in a day. And they were like, sure you can. No, I, I said, whoa. Like, it kind of caught me off guard. It never had kind of counted. Yeah. But then I thought, geez, I mean, we everyone has to have goals in life. Yeah. And I said, well, well, maybe like over the course of a 10-hour Stampede. I mean, hey, let's try tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't exactly promote responsible drinking. That's true. So I, I took heat mostly from my friends who said, you're lightweight. You can't drink 25. And that, that's just their way of pushing me to try you know to you, do it. You know what you should do, um, Franchise? You should write it on your arm tomorrow after every run. Yes. Tally. Running tally. Yeah, like One. run a tally yeah. on your arm. Again, and it, promoting it, responsible it, drinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, there's, get like a Sharpie. And just do them all over your arm like, like you're in it. jail. How many days left? But you're just counting rum and cokes. <laughs> At least that way you'll have a running tally. You're like, I'm up to 17. See, everybody loves to make somebody else puke. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Right? Is that, that's, the, that's the end goal. It's, just everybody, it's a guy's way of just going, come on, just have one more. Yeah. One <laughs> but, that, more. but that's what we do. That's what we do. Um, our next guest uh, has a new podcast. Uh, it's called the Mitzav Podcast. He's a Sportsnet a hockey analyst. Uh, he's on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline. We say good morning to Luke Gazdick. Luke, how are you? Guys, I'm good. Should I be flying out there? You got me all fired <laughs> up now. I'm... Have you been part of a stampede before? Oh, I bet, yeah. I've had a couple okay, in my good. in my day. My brother and my sister both live out there in Calgary. Now I'm like, what am I doing here? Well, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's my oh. first one, Luke, and... Uh, it hit him hard. Yeah, I, I got to bed around 2.15, and then 5.15 came quick this morning. Usually I like to get here a lot earlier than that, but not this morning. Rolled out of bed, had a good shower, and here we are talking on the radio. Um, I don't know hey, if man. I would pass a breathalyzer right now, but the, the important thing is uh, we're doing radio, and you're on, and you're right, Luke. You're missing out, especially like my man Eric Francis here saying, you got to do this, you got to experience it, and it is a different vibe in this city. I can't believe... How like things just transform for a week, like free breakfast. Everyone's in their cowboy gear. Everyone's super friendly. It's amazing how this city just flips right? for this stampede. It's incredible. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're seeing that, enjoying yes. that. It's it really makes me proud to be a Calgarian to see how everybody jumps on board. When I hear people say, "Oh, the best thing about stampede is it's when it ends," well, there is that feeling too for people who stampeded hard. Yeah. <laughs> There's also that relief right. when Sunday night comes and get back to bed. Yeah. But but for those people who get out there and do it, man, you're contributing to what makes us such a great community. Yeah. Um, Luke, uh, he also, Eric said something yesterday that's really resonated with me, and I did notice it. I went to three different places last night. You never see a fight here during Stampede. Never. Back never. in Ontario, in the GTA, if, if somebody bumps in, somebody wants to be a hero. Luke, it's just peace and love here during the Stampede. <laughs> Nobody wants to get into a fight, Luke. No, it's unbelievable. I always tell people, like, if you haven't done a stampede, like, that should be at the top of your bucket list. 100%. Summer things to do. Because it yeah. is one of the coolest. I love that you said that, too. My brothers were, my brother works in oil and gas downtown, always wears a suit to work. But for two weeks stampede, they're in cowboy gear, casual. And um, it's really cool how the whole city kind of embraces the whole thing. You're, you're bang on there. Luke, 
it's first of all congratulations on your podcast you know i i've spoken to you a couple times on the air and on tv and then you and i had a nice chat about uh, ryan huska as well i have no doubt that that podcast can be wildly successful because you've got such a great personality and, and you've got so many good stories so congratulations on that oh thanks eric i appreciate it and, and i, I want to get into huska i want to get into huska because i you told such a great story about how you know, I think so many people are wondering how this guy is going to handle being the head coach. And you saw him as a head coach down on the farm team here for the Flames. And he, he tell that story about how he kind of saw that you needed a little bit of help. You needed a little bit of a hand up. And uh, you didn't reach out to him, but he reached out to you with that sixth sense, just knowing that you needed someone to talk to. Yeah, I spoke to you about this before, and uh, I, I've told it a couple of times. I, I played the whole year 2017-18 in Stockton for Ryan Huska, Kale McLean, and um, it was a tough year for me from start to finish. I'd signed with Calgary, and I really wanted to, to be there, and I was just kind of, I don't want to say toiling away in the minors. I also wasn't doing myself any favors. I wasn't playing great hockey. Um, and it kind of came to a head, and I, I want to say around – you know, Christmas time, maybe just after Christmas time. And uh, we were in Tucson and I had had a really bad game on a Friday night. And uh, I just, I wasn't even there mentally. I was so checked out. It was just, it can get really hard at some times in the American League season, especially as a vet, uh, to kind of keep your mind in it. And uh, Ryan uh, Husk reached out to me on the Saturday morning and said, hey, um, you know, do you want to go for a coffee, something like that? Um uh, would love to sit down and talk with you. And he saw exactly what I was thinking pretty much. So we, we went for a walk in, in Tucson, um, hit up a Starbucks. And basically I kind of just, I kind of just started talking. It was like a therapy session almost, but it was just very, it, it was, it was a coach kind of reaching out a helping hand. He wasn't forcing any conversation out of me. He was just kind of saying, listen, I, I've noticed you're a little off. If there's something going on. Just know that this is a safe space. You know, this is, uh, us and our coaching staff, it's it's a safe space here, and, and you can talk about whatever. And I got to get a lot of things off my chest, things I was frustrated about, and it just kind of showed the the player-coach relationship um, that, that was there. And it meant a lot for me and to me because I played for numerous, numerous coaches up till that point in the American League and in the NHL who, I mean, Eric, I told you the story that there's one coach that I played for in Edmonton that he wouldn't even say hi to me in the morning. You know, you'd walk down the hallway and I would say, morning coach, and he'd look at you and just kind of keep walking. And you're like, you know, that's great. That, that <laughs> makes me feel really good as a player. You know, the first thing coming into the range is, uh, is getting stared down by your head coach. So to have, a, to have a guy like Huss kind of reach out a hand for me in that time, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, um, Luke, are we, all, are we all guilty of doing that as fans and media that we treat players way too much like commodities sometimes and we just totally forget about the human aspect of all of it? I really do. And I think not trying to put my own podcast in the middle here, but well, that's one thing I'm trying to do is humanize these guys because, I mean, all of these players' lives are so com- complex and there's so many things that are going in and out of these guys' minds on on a daily basis and then you put that in an 82 game schedule um when guys are having troubles away whether it's family whether it's mental whether it's you know even physical your body breaking down and um you're meant to go out there every day every practice every day you can't you can't make mistakes you got to be perfect and then on top of that you got to sit in front of a camera after and then you know explain um everything that just happened and it can get really overwhelming at times and there's a really human side to these players and i'm I'm glad it's it's kind of turning turning the leaf here um, and and kind of getting uh, you know some of these player coaches more more involved because I think it's really important. If the guys can feel good at the rink, then it's going to make them play better. How much do guys around the league talk about who the coach is and whether or not they want to play there, Luke? Does does that happen a lot more than maybe we think it does? Oh yeah, I think that's that's something that's become very prevalent over the last decade or so. I think with the emergence of not just social media, but technology, and there's always a second degree of separation with players, right? So you might not know the guy, but you might know someone that played with them or his roommate in college at Providence or whatever it was. Um, guys talk, right? And I think that's um, that's something that happens around the league for sure. What uh, you, You're still in touch with some people in this organization in terms of players, and uh, I think pretty clear that we have it right in the media where these players had openly discussed the fact that they weren't coming back if Daryl Sutter was here. They did 
Yeah, I mean, some of them, right? <laughs> I mean, I think there's one player that's coming back now that Ryan got hired, and that's Oliver Shillington. Um, I, I think it's just a completely different environment that Husk is going to that Husk is going to um, cultivate around his team. Now, Daryl Daryl was Daryl, right? Daryl could have been a good coach in, with, with with maybe the right team at the, at this time in life. Maybe I just don't think it was those boys in Calgary. Um, I think you know Ryan will just create more of, more of that homey atmosphere, and and will some of those guys that maybe aren't as I don't want to say mentally strong because that might not be the right couple words to, to to say, but it'll just be a, a little bit more of an easier uh, environment to navigate there. What what when you have a guy like Daryl Sutter, um, Luke? How tough is it to separate his resume? The guy's a Stanley Cup winning head coach, slammed on Hall of Famer when eventually he gets in. How tough is it to separate uh, the resume to how sometimes? he treats a player like how tough is that for a player when you're hearing coaching advice or dealing with Daryl Sutter saying that, yeah, I understand what this guy has done, but at the same time, sometimes maybe I'm not getting treated the way I should be. I mean, I've been through it. Like I, I, Oh man, I would love to just chuck a couple coaches under the bus here, but uh, (laughs) there's, there's guys that happen like that all the time where they bring a guy in who has this, this pedigree, right? And that that's Daryl too. And you can't look past that. There's going to be a whole element when he's first brought in where you're going to listen to and soak in everything he says. And then things can just kind of spiral quickly. Um, whether it's comments that are made to players that are taken exception by other players, or it's the way he is running the team, the practice, like little things can just start attributing to frustrations around that dressing room and they can just boil over. And then, it becomes just a culture war in there. Um, but it, you're, you're right. Like it's a, it's, it's a, at the beginning of the season or, or whenever that coach first gets hired, it's tough to put that out of the way when you're like, man, he's had success. So why don't we just buy in? Why don't we just shut up and buy in and we're going to have success too. And it, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Cause I think it has a lot to do with the team in the dressing room too. I think the coach has to adapt to his players just as much as the player has to adapt to the coaches. And I think a lot of coaches can be just a little too stubborn and wanting to keep their way and not wanting to, to stray off that. I don't want to keep piling on Daryl, but I, I have one more question about, about him here. And, and again, I know you weren't here last year, but you saw this like the rest of us did. Do you remember the, the comment that he made? Uh, it was about midway or even early in the season when Jonathan Huberto left that game for a little while with a bit of a, a minor injury mm-hmm. and Sutter just brushed it off and said, I think he went to go take a crap. And I had heard the next day that the players were furious. I, I didn't really understand why they'd be furious. Like it's a, it's a lame attempt to be funny, I guess, by the coach. But to me, it just seemed like, you know, a frat boy kind of thing to say. But what I, from what I understand, the guys were furious because they saw it as disrespectful to Jonathan Huberto. Take me through that, the mentality of a player and why you'd be furious. I can see exactly where he's coming from. And as funny as maybe it is, or we think it is, it's that's personal stuff, man. Like whatever happens when you leave that ice or anything that happens during a game practice, that's closed doors, right? Like those things are supposed to be a safe and private space for players. So no matter what happens and, back there whatever's going going on back there whether he's going to the bathroom or it was an injury like that's just like you do, it's him making kind of a last ditch comedic effort like you're saying and it's i don't know for me it's just that's that's personal space for players and yeah i call the players soft or whatever you want same but i i completely agree on the player side with that like it's then he's got to answer questions about that, right? And then it becomes a whole thing, and yeah. and really all and really all you want to do is just focus on playing hockey and answering the questions about playing hockey. And it's just it just creates another distraction, another kind of thing that you don't really want to have to worry about talking about. NHL on Sports and analyst, host of the Mitsoff Podcast, Luke Gazdick, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, with Eric Francis. Sports at 960, the fan. Um, I, I like this discussion we're having, and it's super serious about coach and player relationships. Luke, have you ever had a coach where you saw and you and you were playing on her going, man, this guy, is, he's way in over his head right now, has no idea what he's doing as a head coach? 
Wow. Good question. I want to say that. Okay. I'll frame it differently. Um, I think, I think that when, and he'll admit this to you, I think he'll, he'll be fine with me talking about this because he's, he's spoken about this publicly and Dallas Eakin, when he first came into Edmonton, I think made a lot of the wrong decisions. Um, he talked about creating a new era and got rid of a lot of the old memorabilia from the 80s cup teams and um, went as far as to change the health stuff like like snacks on planes and media and the you know the food in the media room when he'll even say to yourself like you're just a coach like just yeah. worry about coaching yeah. no uh, games before the, yeah. before the games even started he had already put himself behind the eight ball by you know essentially like pissing off this whole crowd of people that he didn't need to. And that was the alumni and that was the media. Like the two people that you want on your side immediately, you've lost before the season even starts. So then the coaching thing comes and he had had a lot of success in the, in the minors at the Marlies and, and stuff like that. And um, I just, I don't think he had, you know, our, our locker room nailed down. And I, I think he came in, he like the way he explained it, I, I came in with, with a can of gas on, on a, on basically on, on a fire that was already going and, and threw the gas on it. And it was just, a, I didn't think he approached the dressing room the right way. He was just a little too stern. And I thought we were getting the, like the Toronto Marlies, Dallas Eakins kind of player friendly coach. And it wasn't that guy. And um, I was a little surprised by that. He was just, he was just a little harder on us. And I didn't mind that at all because I, I just take orders and I show up every day and, <laughs> To do the same thing you know it, it didn't really affect me but I think for maybe some of the some of the younger players and some of the high skill guys the Nooches and Halseys and, and those guys maybe uh didn't mesh with them that well off of that as a, as a player I, I I'm interested in your perspective on this you know I, I'm okay with Elias Lindholm Michael Backlund and Noah Hannafin all who are their stay here is is obviously well in my opinion quite limited I'm okay with them starting the season with those guys because the worst thing that could happen is maybe one of them changes their mind and says, you know what, I, I do want to stay here. We have teams off to a good start, and I will sign an extension. But but obviously with that would come the distraction, and I know they won't address it on a daily basis. They'll snuff that out right away in camp. But would you see that as a distraction if three of your teammates are clearly not going to be with the team past the trade deadline? I mean, I think it would be, but it's only as big of a distraction as those players make it. I think there's certain players that will talk about that stuff openly behind closed doors when we're on planes and buses. Like, if they're making it a distraction, then it is. I mean, the media will try to push the narrative if the team starts losing, especially, right? But everything changes. If you start winning, if that team rips off eight, nine wins in the first little bit and gets on a little bit of a roll and, 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 you know, it's going well, everything changes when you're, when you're winning. So I think the start of the season will be the determinant of that, but it's really only distraction if they make it one. And I'm hoping for those players, they're all veteran quieter guys. So I don't think it will be, I don't think they're going to be, you know, walk around the room talking to different guys about what's going on. But um, it, uh, to be honest, friend, I, Eric, it wouldn't be for me. I, I just think it's it's something you have to deal with in like today's day and age. It's just something that happens, and as long as the boys don't, you know, make it too much of a something they're talking about, then I think it won't be an issue. Well, at the same time, though, uh, what if this team, Luke, is firmly entrenched in the playoff spot come trade deadline? Those guys don't have extensions. All of a sudden, the organization has to do what's best for the organization for two, three, four years from now, and. They trade one of those guys, big key pieces. How would you take that in the dressing room all of a sudden when one of your best players is gone, when the organization knows what they have to do? I know that's the toughest part is kind of just, you know, seeing the process and trusting management. And the hardest part is, is those personal relationships with guys and that, that you're building with guys in the locker room and guys like Raz that have been there for years and guys that, you know, have formed these relationships with those players for years will be tough, tougher on those guys when you see your buddies get, you know, ripped towards the end of the year. But I mean, it's just part of that's part of the game. It's part of hockey. And um, I had Jordan Bennington on, on. I'm going right back to the pod, but I had Jordan Bennington on. I asked him the same question about all his buddies in St. Louis getting traded away at the deadline because they were, you know, 
basically down and out at that point and asking them how much that sucked. And yeah, it sucks as a player to see all your buddies get one, you know, picked up one at a time, but I don't know. That's down the line here. I, I don't, I'm not sure where, Cal, where the flames are going to be at, at that point. Um, but it does suck for the players when, when it gets to the, to the down and dirty like that. You mentioned Rasmus Anderson and uh, again, you and I had a, a good chat on the phone about him and your relationship with him and how far he's come from, an overweight, <laughs> out of shape, young prospect with a ton of talent to a guy who now I think is the odds-on favorite and the guy who should be named captain. I think he'll be named captain in the next couple months here. Uh, tell me about the, the case for why he could be a great captain. Or, or not. If you want to rip on him, you I could remember, too. <laughs> I, don't, take, don't take my pause as uh, something else. I think <laughs> it was just, it was, I talked to you about this, Eric. It was it was almost crazy for me to hear that because I'm not saying he wasn't that player when I was in Stockton and he was, I think it was a second year pro. He he just had a long way to go. You know, and he used to drive the vets on our team, me, Rod Pelly, our captain, Cody Goldbeff, Kobe Roy. He used to drive us nuts at the things he would, the stunts he would pull off. And we, it was just like a little bit of um, just teaching and coaching along the way. And I can just see how much he's matured and, um, and, and, and grown along the way. I had a chance to talk to him a, a little bit. Um, I'm not sure when that was, but he, he's just grown. And yeah, I he really has. It, it, and, and on ice too, you probably couldn't pick a better guy that controls the play with just such pace and such poise. And uh, there were just so many nights. I told you, Eric and Stockton where we needed, we needed to jump on someone's back and time after time, that was rats. We would get down in a game and need a, need a goal late or, or we would need a spark and that would either be me going out and jump and, <laughs> and going toe to toe with some other, uh, <laughs> some other tough guy, or that was Raz going end to end and, and going uh, under the bar for, for the tying goal. He was always the guy that was scoring those clutch ones for us. So in terms of the on ice side, I don't think there's a better guy that, that can, uh, that can play that role. Luke, what are you expecting out of Milan Lucic back with the Boston Bruins? I don't know. He'll probably be a good pickup for them. I, I think that's probably where he wanted to go all along, get back there where it started. He's probably, it looks like he's still got a little bit of legs left in him. Sorry. Stuttered there a little bit, but watch him at the world. And I even, when I was working on Sportsnet last year, there were many nights where I, I would be complimenting the fourth line of the flames because they were the only ones providing the energy and Luch is in there crushing guys. And um, I think he's still got a little bit of juice left in the tank. It's a good signing for Boston and, um, I just like seeing those. I, I like seeing the older, the older, heavier, heavy, not heavy by weight, but heavier playing players um, getting deals this late in their career. Luke Gazdick, um, tell us about your podcast before I let you go. Mitts off with Luke Gazdick. Uh, it's primarily on YouTube, but we uh, they're, they're, wherever you can get your podcast, Spotify, Apple. Uh, I was inspired by kind of um, some of the basketball players, actually. Draymond Green, Paul George, Jim J.J. Redick, who just retired. They have these cool podcasts where they uh, kind of break down the barrier with current players and, um, and former players. And uh, So I've had three current NHL guys with, with more to come in the summer here. Um, kind of just breaking down the journeys, uh, talking a little more of a deep dive into the mental side and um, some of the things they've, they've had to go through, uh, Jared McCann was a great one. We talked about his struggle to get up to, to being a 40 goal man in the NHL and, um, a couple episodes left. I have the, the, uh, the pleasure of being here in Toronto, a uh, huge hub for, for guys home training right now where I'm from and born and raised. So, uh, we'll have a bunch of NHL guys on and, uh, yeah, get it wherever you can get your podcast. I've always wanted to kind of be in the driver's seat of having my own talk show or radio show or podcast. So it's overrated. Free- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I figured I want to give it a try and uh, had some free time in the summer. So uh, why not try it out before the uh, season starts up again uh, and, and gets a, a little crazier, but yeah, check it out anywhere. It's good stuff, guys. Uh, great stuff. Luke. Yeah, and, good uh, on you. We'll see you next year uh, for stampede for sure. Next year. You know what? Yeah, you might be able to hold me to that. I, I, okay. I'm overdue. I'm overdue. <laughs> okay. For yeah. There. Do you think? Do you think you could drink 25 rum and cokes in a day? Or do you think Eric Francis can drink 25 <laughs> rum and cokes in a day? Not <laughs> you. Do you think Eric Francis could drink 25 <laughs> rum and cokes in a day? The the Luke Gassick who was at Stampede when he was 25 probably could do that. He'd yeah. start at Cowboys at around noon, and he could probably <laughs> he could probably. <laughs> 
knocks that one off. They're short pours yeah, anyway, yeah, right? That's a, yeah, 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 yeah. Basically Just, shooters. Sure. Uh, Luke, uh, terrific stuff. Thanks yeah, for this, pal. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, there's Luke Gazdick, NHL on Sportsnet, and host of the Mitsoff Podcast on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. You know, I, I think Luke is is a real talent in our business. It's funny, when we when I first saw him on the air on Sportsnet, you, you, like, you hadn't seen that name for a while. Yeah, he, he didn't have a long career in the NHL, so you, you think, well, what's this guy doing on the air? Like, honestly, I'm just yep. being honest. That's what I first thought. Um, and, and immediately when you hear him talk, you realize this guy's got some substance to him. He's well-spoken. Mm-hmm. He's got some great stories, but he gets it. Yep. He gets it. Like, you know, uh, I, I just think I, I'm really happy for him that he's really kind of yep. taken it to another level and he's going to have his own podcast. And who knows? I'm sure at sports and he's got a real nice future too. So real pleasure to talk to him. I, I really find him enjoyable to listen to. Uh, and it's also fun when he gives you stories of when uh, he dropped the mitts against specific guys too. Just great yeah. storyteller with that. and just Great storyteller. The, the minutia behind dropping the gloves against some of the heavyweights of the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League. All right, straight ahead. Uh, excited to talk to our next guest, uh, Cody Snyder, uh, professional bull rider. Um, wanna, like, I want to ask. Entrepreneur, you, too. I want to ask, too, how do you get into that? Like, at what point in your life? Yeah. You're like, you know what I want to do? I want to ride these, like, incredible beasts as, like, a profession. Like, wh- when was the tipping point in your life to say, you know what I want to be? Bull rider. Mm-hmm. Want to ask Cody that question? Next. Tell you what, when I'm at Bull Busting the other day, which has his name on it, I wanted to be a bull rider. We, we were okay. We were talking about this last night. If you could do any rodeo, there's nothing I could sport, do. Yeah. But but you had a guarantee that you weren't going to get hurt. A guarantee. Oh, okay, all right. What what would it be? And I, you know, we all at dinner last night were saying, "Well, gotta be bull riding." If you knew you weren't going to get hurt, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, I first of all, I wouldn't believe that you can't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, but but man, when those guys march out into the ring at Bull Bus and they bring them all out, like it's like the WWE. It's like I'm like, dude, those guys are the coolest men on earth yeah. with their chaps. Like like Eric, I couldn't even be the rodeo clown. Like that's how. <laughs> like not miss the barrel. Yeah, like I couldn't even be that guy. Like I'd be like, no, I'm not. I don't want this incredible beast running at me. No thanks. Like it's just doesn't sound like something you'd yeah. want to do. But but the, yeah, this guy and you're gonna love his accent, like his twang and his. I love it. I'm looking I, forward to it. He's a personality. I wanted to have him on because he's. I mean, when you think of Stampede, you think of Cody Snyder, and he does yeah. so many great things for our community too. Uh, world champion bull rider Cody Snyder, charity ball busting. We'll talk to him next. And at the top of the next hour, Calgary sports legend Brent Cron in studio for the eight o'clock hour. Who gave him that title? Brent, I did. Brent Cron did. I know. I oh, did. you did. <laughs> yeah. Because he's a Calgary sports legend. He's an icon, I guess. Yeah, he icon is. legend. Yeah. Like that that term icon is thrown around a lot in our lives, but yeah. it fits him to a T. For real? Yeah. Like he's a beauty. <laughs> yeah. I give him that. I, I give him he's a beauty. Yeah. And I do think he speaking of guys who are great on the air, Luke, uh, I mean yep. Brent, there aren't many better in uh, this. Apparently, city. according to one of our texters, you hate Brent Cron. Yeah. Believe everything you read on social media. <laughs> I love Croner. Like, and I'll I'll never forget playing golf at a charity event, not in his group, but he was in the group ahead of me. No shoes. Yeah, no yeah. shoes. Yeah. No sense of where he was. Yep. Uh, a lot of things he was missing that day, but yeah. that's fine. Yeah, that's who he is. So when you knew he was a beauty, that's part of the Brent Cron experience. And is he coming in in studio? Oh, See, yeah, that's yeah. that's another in. part of the beauty. Like he only works a couple works blocks right, away. Right there. Yeah. 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 So, but like. <laughs> That's it's always better radio when you're live, 100. percent And he puts all the effort in, yep, to being the best he can be. Yep. Uh, we'll ask him <laughs> if he can do 25 rum and cokes. Oh, we'll sure do that at eight o'clock. Oh, he probably did it this morning. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry. Talk to Cody Snyder next. Uh, it's the big show. Russick and Rose. No Rose. A Francis. Sports at 960. The fan. You're listening to the big show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960. The fan. The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the top of the hour. Calgary sports legend, Brent Cron in studio for the entire hour because Matty Rose uh, is in Italy. We got Eric Francis here all week from 7 to 9. And right now, though, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, world champion bull rider, Cody Snyder, charity ball busting, Cody Snyder. Cody, good morning. How are you? 
Morning, guys. I'm doing well. We're, um, first of all, uh, thanks for jumping on. Uh, second of all, I know you're, uh, you're, you're friends with our man Eric Francis here, and uh, he seems to think that he will be able to drink 25 rum and Cokes. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think I can do it, but this is the challenge that's been thrown at no. me. You must have seen that over the years at Stampede. <laughs> Some Cowboys drinking 25 rum and Cokes. Well, I don't know about the Cowboys, but I've sure seen a lot of guys from uh, from Calgary downtown go with it. <laughs> pretty sure they can do it. And they do it 10 days in a row, too. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're pros. That's so true. Absolutely. Um, Cody, i got to ask you, and we, we, we were talking about you jumping on because we're super excited and super interesting uh, to what you do. At what point in your life did it become a, a reality where, like, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to be a professional bull rider. When did you have that aha moment? Oh, geez. Ever since I can remember. I mean, I grew up around it. It, it, uh, you know, like I say, ever since I could put a hat on my head and pull on a pair of cowboy boots, I wanted to be a bull rider. And, you know, my dad rodeoed and I had an uncle who was a great uncle who's a Canadian champion. So it, it was always in my family. And, um, you know, and ever since I can remember, you know, I played hockey and I boxed and was in a bunch of other sports, but rodeo I, I, I was a rodeo bull riding nuts since the day I can remember and uh and I think that that definitely when you're you're choosing a career that that definitely doesn't hurt anything you know like these Walter Gretzky said he had to get Wayne off the ice to keep his toes from freezing it when he was four or five years old skating in the backyard you know same kind of thing and and when you made it to your first stampede is that is that the moment or you know what is one of the most memorable moments in your career was it your first rodeo as a as a as a young kid, or was it you know? Tell me about where Stampede ranked and all that. You know, Stampede was it, it's the top of the list, and it still is. I yeah. mean, you you listen to interviews with guys, and you know, guys even coming from Utah like Stetson Wright, these world champs, um, Casey Field, they've all dreamed of riding at the Calgary Stampede, and I remember the first the first time that I rode here in nineteen eighty. 281 yeah and and but i was in 1982 i was 90 i rode a bull the year called wilford and i was i was pretty young and it was kind of a it was a game changer for me it was the biggest highest score that i'd ever had and and just to be 90 was a, a huge thing and to do it at the calgary stampede was uh was over the top and it it definitely was one of the things that helped propel my career now when did the idea come for bull busting? Like, you know, as I explained to people, I, I was there on Friday and it's just, it, it, to me, it's the best event uh, if stampede period. And you took the sexiest part of the rodeo and you decided to just blow it up and make it, you know, the main event, the only event uh, at your event. Tell me, when did that come about? Uh, and, and, and how many years you've been doing it now? Well, professional bull riding. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the tour is one of the fastest, still one of the fastest grown sports going on right now. And, you know, us as bull riders, we always knew there's a reason why the bull riding is the last event at the rodeo because that's everybody would, you know, a lot of people wouldn't probably stay there till the end. I mean, mm-hmm. you have bull riding, that's it's at the end and everybody stays there on the edge of their seat waiting for it to happen. It's the most dangerous event, you know, one of the most dangerous sports in the world. And and for us, Rhonda and I, my wife, we've we we started bull busting in 1993. I retired. Uh, February 1st, I dislocated my shoulder and my knew my career was kind of about over in the PBR, the professional bull riders organization was just starting. And, um, you know, well, I had to retire and I, I wasn't ready to retire. I was still pretty young. I was 29. It was kind of forced due to injury. And, you know, as that transition happens with so many athletes, we hear about it all the time. Now, what am I going to do? Well, this was just, you know, it, it was there and I had the opportunity. I thought, you know, Nobody done a professional bull riding event in Calgary. And um, I thought, what the heck, let's do it. So three months later, we did our first event in the Corral. And here we are 33 years later. 33. Wow. No, 30 years later, I guess. It's, yep. yeah, um, yeah, 1993 to now. So it's exactly 30 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's it's been fun. World champion uh, bull rider and uh, from Cody Snyder's charity, uh, Ball Busting Cody Snyder, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. I guess Tallinn's the big show, Russick and Rose, with Eric Francis, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Um, how was the, the increased safety measures in bull riding? 
How was that? Uh, how long did it take to, to adapt to that? We now see that they were the Kevlar vests and they were the hockey helmets with the cages now. And that wasn't the case back in the day. Even when, when you rode bulls, you wore a cowboy hat and how incredibly dangerous that must have been too. How, how tough was it for maybe the old school bull riders to maybe adapt the more safety measures we see now in bull riding? Well, the vest has definitely been a, a, a great thing. And every guy who gets on rides with the vest, um, that, that was a great invention. Cody Lambert was the one who started that um, bull rider out of Texas because um, he grew up on the racetrack and uh, knew about all the jockeys. And they always wore those. So that was his idea. Hmm. The helmet, the helmets, there's, there's mixed emotions, guys, with helmets. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're a lifesaver, but there's still, you know, this whole concussion thing is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, a hard thing to to get used to and get figured out and you know there's a lot of guys their head hits the ground and there there's no you know there's just no give there and there's some guys have gone back to wearing cowboy hats just because when they hit their head on the ground helmets seem to be knocking them out and you know so there's some there's some some questions there and it's kind of got to be um you know some guys are riding with them some aren't and some I mean, J.B. Mooney, who's one of the greatest of all times, you know, he's gone back to just a cowboy hat and uh, just likes the feeling of of not having that extra weight because there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of power and a lot of torque behind a bull when he's spinning. I I noticed at your event Friday there was one or there were one or two guys that didn't have a helmet on, and I I my first thought I wrote it down. I was going to ask you tonight, like I I guess it would be pretty tough to make that mandatory, right? I mean, I like get the end of the day these guys are independent contractors and they get to make their own decision. Do you ever see a day where it's mandated? Oh, I think it could be. I, I don't know. You know, I guess they'll come down that road, um, but it's still an individual sport. It's not a team. Well, I can say it's not a team sport. They are, they've started a team series in the U S now. So I could see it being mandated if it, uh, you know, once the team uh, series really takes into effect. The, uh, Forgive my ignorance. I've been in Calgary thirty years, but I always forget what's the proper term for those three guys who save lives pretty much after every ride. The bullfighters. Bullfighters. That's what I thought. They're the bullfighters. They're not the clowns. I'm just kind of looking at George right now because this is his first stampede. Like, there's the clown, and man, that guy you've got at your your event is is world class. I I think he's doing the stampede too. Uh, But the three bullfighters, man, do I enjoy watching them? Sometimes Mm -hmm. I just watch them. And uh, I love watching them exchange little subtle high fives after because they know that they may have just saved the cowboy from some very serious injuries. Tell me about the respect the cowboys have for those bullfighters. Yeah, well, first off, it, we don't call him the guy in the arena, the clown. He's the uh, arena, the entertainer is what, what we call him now. And, okay, and fair. His, <laughs> the, the, yeah, Brinson James is really, he's something. He's the best in the business, second yeah. generation. Love him. I was around his dad when his dad was... He, he came, he grew up in the business, and I love that because, you know, when you get into second, third generation, they, they come with a lot more knowledge of, of the business, and uh, I think that really helps. But those bullfighters are lifesavers. I mean, bottom line, you know, they're there to, to protect the bull riders, and they will do anything and everything to protect a bull, a bull rider. And, um, you know, the, the, like, at a, and, and it's extremely dangerous type. Ty Prescott, who was one of our bullfighters for the first three days, he was supposed to be there for, he got wiped out on uh, Thursday night and hurt his hip and spent the night in the foothills, actually. Oh. Um, yeah, so he he's all right now. He's going to be back. <laughs> this is how tough they are. He's, mm-hmm. he's scheduled to, to fight bulls at the Stampede for the last five days, and he said he's, <laughs> he's feeling good and he's ready to go. So, you know, they're tough guys. But, you know, th- that's another th- – the thing with it is that, that is uh, – you know, a lot of people don't understand is, is having that cow sense and just understanding where those bulls are going to be. And you need to be a half a step ahead of them. And, and having that knowledge really helps a lot. And, and, and there's some guys are a lot better than others. Believe me, it's just like anything. There's, there's bull riders that are better than others. There's mm. golfers that are better than others. And there's bullfighters that are better than others. How do you fall, how, not fall into it. How do you, are these guys who used to ride bulls and they just decide they're better at <clears throat> fighting them or how do you get into that? Well, s- some kind of like, like Tanner Byrne um, is the best example of all. I mean, he's there fighting bulls for us. He's a second generation. His dad, Ryan fought bulls many, many years when I was riding bulls wrote actually was a 
first Canadian to ever be selected to fight Bulls at the at the Ranker National Finals in Vegas. So, yeah, R- Ryan was uh, one of the best ever, and now his boy and and it, both of his two of his boys, both of them, um, Jesse Byrne has been on the PBR World Tour fighting Bulls for geez, just about 20, 15, 20 years. And now Tanner, he was one of the top bull riders. He went to the Canadian finals, went to the PBR world finals. And then when he retired, he started fighting bulls. But that's not a real high characteristic of it. It's just there's a lot of these guys that come from a, kind of both the same lines, you guys. You know, it's a mm-hmm. farm and ranch background, a lot mm-hmm. of them. And kind of because they grew up around cattle. And like I said, they understand cattle. They, you know, it's, it's like having, they say, cow sense or horse sense. You know, a, a really good horseman grew up around horses, and, and to just come into it when you're 20, 25 years old is much harder than being a kid and growing up around them. Those guys ever pay for a beer during Stampede? I would assume the Cowboys buy them everything. <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. All the, I guess, what do, you, what do you say, all the rum and cokes they need, probably. But uh, <laughs> good. no, it's, it's serious business. I mean, they are athletes. They work out. Everything has changed. I mean, everybody is is on 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 nutritional programs. They're exercising. They're working on. It's like golf, Eric. You are a you're a golf nut. I know all about it. And it's the that's where this has gone. I mean, mm. you can compare the two quite a bit. And I love comparing the two because they're individual sports. You know, yeah. golf. If you don't win, you know. The, the guys who don't have endorsements, if you don't win, you don't get to play tomorrow because your your bank account dries up, and that's how it how it is with bull riding. It's a very very good comparison, and and all of the and the same thing that's that's going on in golf. That's you know, and Tiger Woods started that whole movement, mm-hmm. and bull riding now it it's a whole new ball game. I mean, it it's it's quite something what they're doing. Uh, Cody, I have to ask you uh, in your time uh, if you're out at a bar and you see a mechanical bull. Did you ever back in the day just jump on who people didn't know who you were? And you're like, oh, you know, I'll give this a try for the first time. And then you absolutely smash it on the bull. Has that ever happened in your life? Oh, I kind of stayed away from them things. But, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's another thing. You can't even compare them there. That's an apple and an orange. That, I can tell you this. On they, They've got a bucket machine called a gold nugget. And back Back, this is like 20, 25 years ago. Gary Lafuse, six-year-old son Judd, you could not buck him off of it. As fast as it could go. <laughs> wow. And as rank as it, yeah, it, you couldn't buck him off. And he was a little kid. And it, I, I, I've wrote him lots. It, it's kind of funny. They, Yeah, there, there's no comparison to the real thing. And, you know, I guess you're right. It's computer, at least with a bull. You at least understand their mentality a little bit more than than a computer, I guess. It's... Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. When you think you got them figured out, they're going to do the exact opposite. Yeah. They're animals. And that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's all, it, it's all about, you know, natural, natural movements and, and just it, things are going so fast and happening so fast. And, you know, bull riding is kind of a lot of, it. it's just having guts and determination and just hanging on and, you know, second and third effort, kind of a deal when you get into you're going to get into a bind you got to just make the right moves and do the right things to stay on cody what's the scare who what, what was the scariest bull you ever rode and you knew when you were going to draw me like oh here we go like what, what's that bull for you when you were a rider oh you know back in the day that bodacious was around there you know I and i was I, gonna I, say I, bodacious I, yeah, he. I drew that. I never drew that bull. I got lucky, and and that was that was <laughs> back then when he was around. That was when my wrist was screwed up, and I didn't know it. So he was about the last thing that I, last bull that I'd have really wanted to get on. But you know, there's been some of them around out there that that you just never really wanted to get on. But you know, when, when you're when you're in the zone and you're riding good and you're feeling good, man, there you, you crave bulls like bodacious, and that's that's the truth. I mean, when guys right when you're at the top of your game it's like anything you you just you you just feel you can ride godzilla and and that's that's kind of the mentality that you need when you got them kind of bulls like that uh if if eric and i were jump on if we were to jump on a bull today first of all we'd get ridiculously hurt could we hold on for one second cody no way 
<laughs> One second. I'd spill my rum and coke all over the thing. <laughs> Say it depends how many rum and coke. <laughs> yeah. The looser, the Maybe better. Maybe I'd be more pliable yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. Right? One second, Cody. No chance, right? Oh, you. Oh, yeah. You. I, I'm sure I could glue you on there, give you one with uh, no horns and rubber feet, and you could stay on for probably one and a half at least. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there the other night with uh, – I don't know if you saw this. You're busy running around running the event and your and your family, Rhonda, and your your, your daughters. and But one of the – I'd never seen this before. One of the, the cinches came off of the bully, bucked it right into the crowd, and we were about five rows up, and Lindsey Carson – former Philadelphia Flyer. He's with the kind of the NHL alumni here in town. Very active. Good guy. You probably know Lindsay. Anyway, he caught He's the bell. He's a good dude. <laughs> yeah. Like guy, yeah. Did, you, did you see him? He caught the bell and immediately flung it over his shoulder like he was a WWE superstar and started walking <laughs> towards the camera and the crowd went wild. Couldn't happen to a better guy, man. That, that's funny. Yeah. I've seen that. I haven't seen that too many times. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I've never seen Not it. come flying out of there that hard. Like, geez, that thing come ripping out of there, yeah. I could have hurt a mere mortal, but not Lindsey Carson. He took it. He could have taken it in the teeth. He said he took it in the teeth, kind of swelled it around his mouth, and spit it out. <laughs> but I, I, I wouldn't have minded one of them flying up there and hitting old Tim Hunter up there and seeing what he did up in the corner. But, yeah, that's, that was a cool night. That's exactly where I was going with this. I was sitting next to Timmy. And I, I'm thinking at one point, who's tougher? And I asked, we asked Craig Conroy this yesterday, who's tougher? A guy like Tim Hunter or any one of these cowboys who jump on bulls for a living? Yeah, I'd, I'd take Hunter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess you, you got it. But, but I will tell you this: there's, there's a few scrappy, scrappy cowboys around that are mm-hmm. kind of pretty bad news in the day. So, yeah, I'd. There, there's some pretty big boys around the rodeo business. You take some of them bulldoggers and stuff. There's some pretty big guys around. I love it. I love it. Tell, tell me about the community of Stampede. Like I, I was telling, George is having his first Stampede, and I just think it's the greatest thing in the world. I think it's a bucket list that everyone in the world should you know, check off at some point in time. Tell me what Stampede means to you. Well, you know, from a, a, a rodeo and a cowboy's uh, perspective, the stampede is number one of all. And, and, you know, and, and I never really realized Eric until, you know, you, when I got back into the, into the business or I got into the business of producing events and, and going to all the rodeos. And, and now, you know, I've been involved, I've been downtown and in the oil and gas business, you really see all the other stuff that goes on around stampede. There is nothing like it. I mean, yeah. Houston's a great rodeo, you know, Cheyenne and there is nothing remotely close to what the Calgary Stampede does. I mean, this thing, it's a whole city. It's a movement. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy what the Stampede does and, and the people that come into town and all the business it's done and all those corporate suites behind the shoots and man, it is, there is nothing like it. And, and all the functions that are going on and, you know, you go to these parties downtown and there's, there's billionaires all over the place. Like people come to town Big, big time business. You know, I got lots of friends that are, you know, you know Fagerheim and Grant Fagerheim yeah. and, and, and guys, I mean, it, it, you know, Paul Coburn, they're, they're, the, list, the list just goes on and on and on of, of great uh, sports minded business guys. And they're all, they dust their cowboy boots off. And it used to be, they dusted them off for 10 days. And now with our event, um, you know, they're dusting them off for two weeks. We're, we're, we're the, a great lead up to the stampede with our event and what you we are. got going on and people are doing business. And that's, that's what our event is. Uh, you know, that's what it's designed around is, you know, with all the stuff that we got going on there with the, in the event center and that, that part pre party and, and then after and, and all of those corporate suites in there, the cabanas that we've got. I mean, this is, this is about business and, and being a big time corporate event and given, uh, given the city of Calgary, another option. Whose idea, and well put, thank you. Because as a cowboy, you'd only see one side of it. Now you're a businessman and a downtown guy. You see the other side of it from every angle. This is just the greatest celebration in the world, I'm convinced. But going back to your event, one last question. Was it your idea to come up with the shark cage? And, and George probably doesn't even know what that is, but maybe you could explain to him what the shark cage is and where, where it came from. 
Well, it, it, it started from the PBR, and you know, and I don't really know in the, in the U.S. And it was just designed to be out there and it, and for the entertainer to to jump around on top of. Flint Rasmussen had been jumping around on top of it and using it as a kind of a prop. And we've, you know, and you could put some people in there, but we've taken it to another level now. I mean, you know, we have ten people go out there for each intermission or, or break in the action um, four different times throughout the event. And you get to sit out there in the middle of the arena, and it's a solid, built out of metal. I mean, the thing, I, I, I've moved it lots of times with a forklift because the thing is ultra heavy. It weighs a few thousand pounds. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. And you sit inside there, and those bulls get right up beside you. And they're looking in there at you. I mean, and they're <laughs> they're four inches away. It's crazy. But it's it's so cool. You know, we had Brian Burke was in there and, and um, Jim tree living's been in sat in the, in the thing. Uh, Jason Kenny was in there back a few years ago. I mean, we've, and, and corporate Calgary just loves that thing. And it's, it's a really good added value for our, for our big time sponsors. And it's uh it's just another thing. And we use it to raise more money for our charitable uh, initiatives. It is amazing. It's just a great addition. And I would love to have seen the very first ball busting, when it was, you know, you did it the corral, as you said, and yeah. then to what it has morphed into now, and you've got it finely tuned. And just last question I have, how, how much you raised doing that this year and, and over the years for charity? Well, first off, you need to get your butt in that thing. So I, next year, you 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 make sure you're there. That Friday night, you're going in that turkey. I'm in. There you go. That's on record. I'm in. Yeah, you, you're in. I'll get you I'll get you and Tammy Truman and Craig and, and Hunts in there and, and some of you guys and Lindsey Carson. We'll get in there and love it. We'll do a great big cool deal around it. But, yeah, so <laughs> to, to go back to um, – and that's on, so you make sure we'll, we'll, we'll get that handled. Okay, we'll handle but, it. Uh, to go back, you know, we're, we're over $3 million now um, with our charitable initiatives. We'll great. do over – 300 grand again this year, you know, and that number would have been a lot bigger, but we had some rain and some lightning and our, you know, the fans that some of them couldn't get out there is as good as it has been. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we'll be over 300 grand again this year. And that's, that, you know what, that's just the city of Calgary. That's, that was one of my big initiatives, Eric, when I started this event, um, Harris Bork and I was, we, we, we need to have a charitable initiative with this, this event, if you want to have, be, if you want to have a long sustaining event and get the corporate side in the, of the city of Calgary involved and stay and to, to keep them and keep them involved. And that's what we've done. We've, we raised a bunch of money and uh, everybody has a lot of fun, but uh, you know, we've got some great charities, special Olympics, uh, Canadian mental health, the central and central Alberta and Luna child advocacy center. And, and this year we raised money for the seven, the seven chiefs arena out there. So um, yeah, re- really great things, raising a bunch of money, and, and that's what the city of Calgary loves, and that's what we love to do. Uh, Cody Snyder, incredible stuff. Uh, world champion bull rider, the Cody Snyder charity bull busting. Uh, Cody, terrific stuff. Uh, thanks for this, and uh, thanks for uh, teaching a lot of uh, newbies like me about bull riding and how incredible that is, and I look forward to seeing Eric uh, Francis in the shark, uh, shark Cage next year as well. Uh, thanks for doing this, pal. Thanks, guys. Well, incredible stuff yeah. on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Straight ahead, uh, I'm going to ask Brent Cron how long he think he could thinks he could sit on a bull. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear the answer. There's, there's a tease. What, what's more likely? Three seconds on a bull or 25 rum and cokes? There's the question. We'll do that next. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. No Rose. Francis. Sports at 960. The fan.